Hello and welcome to the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. Today is a very special episode because I have two people on all the way over the pond in the United States from my very favourite podcast, Dinner with Racers. I have Honda factory driver Ryan Eversley and media baron Sean Heckman. Gentlemen, welcome to the programme. Thanks a lot for having us. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Now, for those for those that don't know, and I'm sure there's very few, tell us about Dinner with Racers and how you came up with the concept. Well, it, it kind of started as a an idea that a group of us had. So Sean used to work for a race team called TRG, and uh, at the time we had Andy Lally, who's a close friend of ours and uh, champion road racer over here in the states, uh, and another guy named Spencer Pompelli, who's also a big time race car driver over here, as well as a team manager named Shannon Davis. And we would try to get together on race weekends because at one point, Shannon, Andy, and Spence and I were all roommates. And, uh, and then Sean was the PR media guy for that program. And his sense of humor was apparently in line with my sense of humor, according to all these people. So I hadn't really met him that, uh, at that point. But we'd all go to dinner at these racetracks, and we would just sit around and, and tell lies and stories and just BS them the whole time. And the joke we always had was, what if we could like capture this? and put it out there and then we we considered the idea of like setting up cameras but then sean very smartly was like you know what that would cost and how would we do it where would it live and so it was one of these things that we talked about quite a bit and we try to have these dinners on race weekends just to like have a little sense of home even when you're on the road yeah it was just Uh fun and uh eventually uh as the conversation kept going it it kind of whittled itself down to just me and sean and i that kept going we do need to do something like that and then uh i'll I'll let sean take it from there but that was kind of how it initiated was friends outside of racing getting together on a race weekend just to have dinner and and just make fun of each other and tell lies and sean where did you so you're 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 the man that makes (laughs) it sound good as well aren't you Absolutely, the brains behind the operation. Without me, there would be no podcast. Between my Twitter following, uh, my persona with the public, my uh, real skill to be likable, um, this show would not exist. Is it true that you didn't necessarily have social media before Dinner with Racers, or or was it Instagram? I can't quite uh, remember. <laughs> uh, you're actually correct. Uh, I had a Facebook because I am a boomer that was born in 1979. Uh, uh, And uh, literally on the road of our first season doing the podcast, I started a Twitter account in, I guess that would have been 2015. Uh, It was a little late. Now, having said that, I was doing social media for a client. So I was doing social media for uh, some of the sports car teams and e-car programs and things like that that Mm -hmm. I've been working on. But I never felt the need to have social media for myself. Uh, but then as the podcast started going, I was like, yeah, I probably should, you know, create an extension of these dumb jokes that we're doing, uh, so that I can never get away from it. And then, uh, so between Twitter and then, and then not too much longer after that, I started an Instagram account and I think right now I am up to almost as many as 3000 followers. Wow. Good job, man. Whoa. Yeah. I'm almost there. There are pro race car drivers who have less than that. That is absolutely fair, um, and that is because I am better than them. <laughs> so, so to kind of answer the rest of the question, oh, right. with the with the way the podcast really came to be, because uh, I didn't even know what a podcast was, and I have to admit I never listened to one before we did ours. So I really wasn't sure what what 
the whole background was on them and how they really worked. And Sean listened to quite a bit. And so we both had an existing relationship with the Continental Tire folks. I was racing in the series, and Sean was doing a lot of media for teams in that series. And so he was around the PR folks from Continental. And so we put together a proposal, went to them, and asked for some sponsorship to do this road trip idea. And they were like super cool right off the bat. We're like, yeah. And then we both went, shit, we should ask for a lot more money. Because <laughs> they said yes. They yeah. said yes right away. It's like, oh. yeah, the yes was, it was like, can you guys, you, uh, what do you think? And they're like, yeah, let's do it within a heartbeat. Like, yeah. Oh. Do you want to open so, the proposal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, great. Now we have to do it. And we could have asked for three times as much. Right. And so we started out, and I, I tell people this all the time. That Sean, because of his background in Hollywood and doing production for real TV shows and movie channels and things like that, uh, he because I I'm just in my head going, this is going to be great. We've got really supportive fans. My racing fans are super supportive. This is going to just be like everyone's going to love it. And uh, he pulled me aside like on day one and was like, you have to remember something that movies with great actors and great production sometimes totally tank and totally flop. So you have to be okay knowing that we might only have a hundred listeners or we might have a million listeners. And as long as you're like okay with the work we do and you really believe in what we're doing, then it really doesn't matter if people like it or not, but just be prepared that it could fail. And I was like, oh, I didn't even consider that an option. And so that kind of put me back on my heels. I was like, all right, so really this isn't a fun road trip. Like we do need to do justice for our sponsors, but also for the stories we want to hear and tell others. So if he hadn't said that, I might've been a little bit more like, ah, whatever but it kind of gave me a little bit of an eye-opener, like, oh, right, that's true. Real TV shows that you love and movies that you love sometimes just don't get the audience they deserve. What is what is the, what would you say is the, the the movie? I know you guys are big movie buffs and stuff, or what would rephrase that? What's the racing movie or show that has not got the credit it deserved? Ooh. You can't the say Dinner with Racers. Yeah, yeah, the racing movie specific to racing that has not received the credit that it deserves because like the, the obvious ones have been done to death already yeah right? We've, i mean we sell a shirt based on one um, <laughs> i i can't speak for ryan but i'm going fast and furious 3 tokyo drift oh no oh. <laughs> uh, because it is uh it, it it's very true to life um, yeah, so I, uh, so before I don't know if you do this, but before the podcast, I was a member of the Yakuza. Okay. And uh, when I lived in Japan, so I was in the Yakuza for a few years, and we used to drive cars, and we would do what's called suizo, which is Japanese for sideways. And uh, and when I was in car chases, because I was in the Yakuza, um, the easiest way to get away from somebody would be oh, to really? keep would be to keep sliding the car left and right uh, when you're Makes going sense. in a straight line. Uh, uh, there were some who would say, you know, if you just straightened up the wheel and, and made a straight line, you can catch the guy you're trying to catch uh, easier. But I was like, nah, nah, the Suizo thing is the way to go. Um, also, even the biggest, baddest grandpas that run an entire mafia all drive cars that apparently rev at 20,000 RPM. And have okay, twenty back. and have 24-speed transmissions. Yes, correct. <laughs> Ryan, and, what about you? Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and take over. Um, so, one of my one of my favorite movies is Stroke Race, where Burt Reynolds goes is a NASCAR driver and he's lost his ride. And he's got to get a new job, 
and uh, it's just like the 80s Burt Reynolds special you know what I mean like it's one of those movies that you watch and it's like there's no point it's fun and games every scene had to be hilarious to make and it's really popular in the stock car racing world because it's kind of like this old throwback but I don't know that anybody really likes it or sorry knows about it necessarily outside of the NASCAR crowd and you don't have to be a racing fan or sorry stock car racing fan to really appreciate it because it's just like that typical funny 80s like "Ah just you know cameos and Tim Richmond's in it for a second so obviously that makes it good and I I just think that's a that's a classic and what what was it called again remind me Stark Stroker Ace which is his his name as a NASCAR driver in the movie I I am writing it down right now you know what I'm doing tomorrow that's going uh, straight on it's based based on a book it's a stroke ah okay okay yeah there's a there's a book as well uh and it's stroker race uh if i'm not mistaken on the lure of it was basically a book that came out and stroker race became sort of the pseudonym for a lot of driver stories that went into one fake character right so uh, allegedly the story of stroker race is actually like 20 different guys in nascar yeah uh, who all kind of compiled their stories into this one fictitious character that sounds that sounds right up my street that's for sure so and i'd never heard of it before uh and normally yeah, i'm i'm a exactly. truffle dog for race movies so that's a good one that's a good one yeah what's your answer peter oh good question uh i have to say and this is a horribly unpopular opinion i i, I le mans doesn't do much for me it's pretty huh. sl- it's pretty hard going although the story of how they made it is really cool um yeah. i've heard Derek yeah. bell tell the story about steve mcqueen lying on his front and nearly running him over i mean that's just that's it probably just shows how cool Derek Bell is, I suppose. But uh, oh, good question. Um, do you know what I thought was 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 really really good, and it came out very recently? Was the Porsche Endurance documentary? I don't know if you guys have seen it. I'm an accurate driver, so I definitely didn't. You're not you're not allowed you're not allowed to watch it. Yeah, no, I get I get fine if I watched it. Okay, so or yeah. or you could say I watched it and it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, no, I like some of the Porsche guys, but you know, we we're big fans of anybody that employs our friends. Okay. Yeah. So I, I would say it's probably a great movie. If Alvin Springer's in it, then it's the best movie ever. Well, I was surprised there was no Pat Long in it, and I thought that would that, that he would have been in it a bit more, but uh, he he wasn't he wasn't in it. He was probably off being a an influencer. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing is, and I don't know your video production background, but tripods can be a little bit sensitive. They're very right. hard to get. And there's a certain height limit to tripods. <laughs> yeah. Um, pretty tall. So they they may not have been able to get a tripod low enough for Patrick to do a sit down. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh dear me. If there, was a, if there was a scene with York Bergmeister and he was offset, Patrick was probably there and he just couldn't see him. Probably, but see, he was meant to be in it. They just couldn't. They couldn't make it work. Exactly. Ah, I see. I see. So you've had, you know, you've, we've, we've already mentioned a few guys who've been on, been on the show. I mean, who, when you did the first series, was it sort of sheet of paper saying, okay, who are we going to get on? Because I guess a lot of the people who were in the first series, like um, Catherine Legg and Andy Lally and Patrick Long, etc., they're all they're all quite close friends of yours, aren't they? Yeah, that's that's typical for a first season. I think you know we yeah. stuck to. You know, like eh, Ryan and I wanted to have a loose format, and a loose format would only work with people that trusted us. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, uh, so people that we were comfortable having a conversation with. Um, there are also a few folks that, uh, being the first season with Continental, 
uh, and and trying to sort of understand what that uh, dynamic was going to be. There were a few guests that we had that you know were, were ideas maybe Continental wanted to push to see if some of their other sponsored athletes might might be of interest. And you know, I, I would say, and I'll let Ryan take from there. But you know, we were it was a combination of friends, but also crossover audiences and things that we were trying to experiment with to see to see what worked and what didn't. Sure. Yeah, that's exactly exactly right. And, and knowing like our first first guest being Andy Lally, who's literally been like a brother to me and, and Sean and Andy have worked together for years and years and years. Um, we knew we were gonna get all the good stories out and it kind of set us up for our our rhythm too. Cause like Sean and I, you know, he's in California, I'm in Atlanta. So then we come together for a trip and we go do this. And generally it takes a day or two for us to kind of get synced up. Mm-hmm. and really know each other's rhythm which is important for the show um but also the thing that you have to consider is that we're doing it on a road trip so if we can get five or six guests within an hour of each other like in atlanta bob barsha andy lally pompelli yeah Pompelli's dad was in town uh all those all those guests together that that saves us a ton of travel which is tiring and, and hard to do and so anytime we can get a big group of people within a you know a couple hours drive of each other it's like a home run so atlanta was big for that la can be good for that charlotte north carolina is good for that indianapolis and so if you notice our trips kind of hit the same town so we can get those groups of people that are around oh that makes makes sense i mean who's the you've had an incredible alumni of guests now i mean who's the who's the guest that you still want to have on the show and and why My personal guest that I want really, really badly is John Force from Drag Racing because he's a bigger than life character. Okay. And I, I'm pretty sure he's just a crazy person that got away with being a racer. And I love that about him. And so he's really high up on my list. And it, and I hate to sound political and not funny or, 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 uh, or vague and not funny, but the truth is I don't have like a dream list. Uh, and the reason why I say that is there's a few people that I would love to have uh, for kind of my own reasons but like obviously we would love to get AJ Foyt or Roger Penske or folks like that but the truth is uh, I don't think Ryan and I are necessarily going I don't think we're necessarily upset that things like that aren't happening because we also we're more proud of good episodes than we are high profile guests Yes. Uh Um, and so if we're going to get a sit down with somebody and we're just going to hear the same stories that have already been told that honestly doesn't really uh, interest either one of us. And so sure. because of that, I've never gotten too big on a dream list because, you know, if let's say we get a super high, like a Roger Penske, not to, to just to throw out a, a random name, it's like, okay, you're going to get Roger Penske, but you're going to get him for 30 minutes. Right. I don't know that we can make something to the standard that we've been trying to keep. And so I, I don't know that I get too excited. The one person, I'll put this on the spot, and I think, Ryan, you would agree, uh, Kelly Collins, who's probably not a household yeah. name. Yeah. Um, Kelly, Kelly Collins is one of my favorite human beings in the world because he's truly like stand-up comedy levels of funny, but immensely inappropriate and refuses to go on our show because he knows exactly what'll happen and he knows that he won't be able to control himself. Right. See, so he knows that you're, he's going to get the show cancelled if he goes on. He doesn't want to do that to you. Well, luckily, my, I, I, I can edit, so I'm <laughs> yeah. not worried about it getting cancelled, but <laughs> he doesn't know that. Yeah, he's going to get cancelled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was uh, I really enjoyed the episode when you had David um, David Kemmer from iRacing on that? The way that it seemed like that was quite a quite a cool moment for you, Sean, particularly. Uh, yeah, I would say so. I mean, uh, Ryan and I both are fans of some of the titles that David Kemmer has programmed over the years. Mm-hmm. Growing up as somebody who has generally tried to do a certain amount of sim racing throughout his whole life, uh, I found David uh, particularly cool. But. Uh, 
Did you know that the I, I so I looked it up on the iRacing forums. A lot of the iRacers did not like that episode at all. No uh, way. And really? It's one of my and it's one of my favorite hate. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh no. But it's awesome uh, because the hate. It all comes down to like they didn't ask the questions I would have asked, but they were like so gamer specific <laughs> that like it was like well right, but I don't need to know about which you know uh, uh, if he did this on Unity versus uh, you know some other form of coding. Like right. I just wanted to know about growing up in in Rhodesia, which is far more interesting. Right. Uh, but uh, David Cameron, I don't know if you do any iRacing, Peter. But I do. Uh, yeah. David Cameron is just such a unique story. So ah, all right. How are you at the iRacing? Uh, I am uh, yes. Uh, the problem is, I'm I'm kind of getting, I'm getting to the point now where it's actually mattering to me, and it's just become a little bit too real now. Where you're actually getting angry if you get caught in a wreck or something like that. But no, I do quite a lot. Like I'm, I'm my my mission that I'm on right now is is a, is to become a, a live motor racing commentator, and actually, iRacing's provided an incredible opportunity for me. To get experience and learn how a broadcast works and just honing that kind of commentary craft especially right now when everything in like you know in inverted commas the real world is is on hold so yeah no i do the the program's actually uh, it's 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 an amazing piece of technology and what you can what you can do with it and i think for for a fan engagement perspective the fact that you like i was in a race with your own blakemon the other day you know le mans winner you think this is ridiculous yeah, and that's the part that I think is awesome. Yeah, and we were when we kind of put together our iRacing League, it was important to us that we would have fans and journalists and racers all competing against each other because not for nothing, but sports car racing doesn't have the legends that some of these other sports do like NASCAR and IndyCar. Mm-hmm. So when you say, Oh, we're gonna have all these pro racers from let's say IMSA go do this event, it's like, Well, yeah, like some of them are big names, but a lot of them aren't. And I don't know that fans are going to be like, oh, my God, I get to watch versus like, oh, I get to race against Bleakamon, like you just said. Like to us, that meant more. And that's why we do the way we're doing it, because we want fans to come away with those experiences. And I get text messages from people like the day after the night of one of our races. We're like, I got to go side by side with Joey Hand. That was like so cool. And right there, you're like, win. That's a win. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even down to the point where uh, I'm sorry. uh, No, no, go on. Go on. Uh, I mean, even down to the point where, so we did a multi-class race at Long Beach, uh, where we had seven different open wheel classes in our right, our racing league. And I think we had at that, in that particular race, we invited like five or six pros from different levels of prototype racing and IndyCar racing and things like that. Um, somebody who ran that event was commenting to me that they got a sense of how they are with traffic because they're all different. Like apparently Dane Cameron does not give a shit about <laughs> passing people in traffic and he'll just stuff he wears Ricky Taylor was very very polite and took his time and waited to get around corners and that does not surprise uh, me he's the nicest that guy limps into personalities i'm sorry say it again i said that does not surprise me about ricky when i met him he just seemed like the nicest guy yeah uh and that's exactly it but my point is like they not only do they get to race with them but they truly get a sense of like what it's like to be on track with these folks and and that's just something you can't you know you can't put a price on no absolutely because uh we're not rich well, I think it's it's interesting the point you make, Ryan, about about IMSA and about the the drivers and how you know, like you say, they're maybe not like a, a huge star like a Scott Dixon or a Kyle Busch or whatever. But I think a, a big part of what you guys have done is certainly for me. You know, we don't get an enormous coverage of IMSA here. I can get it through you know YouTube and things like that. But it's uh, I think it's 
for me, the the format that you guys have with Dinner with Racers has been so good because you get a really good impression of not only their career achievements, but actually their personalities as well. Is that something that you kind of actively try to send that message across that people might not normally see? Yeah, that's exactly... Sorry, go ahead, Sean. Oh, I heard of something. Anyways, okay, yeah, exactly right. The whole the whole thing for us is we know a lot of these people from behind the scenes, and we know that they can be funny or really engaging or have this tremendous personality that nobody really gets to see, and it might not even be their fault because we kind of, Sean and I agree that the messaging needs to be handled probably a little differently for road racing, you know, to, to showcase these things. And I think cars are as cool as anybody, but like I think back as a kid and drivers that I looked up to were the ones I got to interact with that I get to see at the racetrack and they'd actually talk to you. And so as cool as the car was they were racing, I'm still cheering for that person too. And if you look at stock car racing and IndyCar racing, a lot of those drivers that have personalities, well, they're the ones that, that people go to see. And so if we can showcase like a Mark Miller who might not be a household name, but we know he's funny as anybody, or like Steve Goff, who is a amazing talented mechanic that worked with McLaren in the heyday and now works at HPD. Well, I know he's a really clever, crafty guy that's fun to talk to, but you've probably never heard of him before. And when those episodes get loved and people say that they like them, to us, that's like winning, you know, to like to hear that, man, I really enjoyed that. Like you saying that you enjoyed the David Cameron episode, to us is like, yeah, because who thought to get him? Because we did that a year ago when iRacing wasn't the mainstay for motorsports on the planet. Yeah, mm-hmm. And, and also on that point, you know, the, uh, it was just down the road was the, the Will Turner episode. I remember crying, laughing the story about him. Was it one of, one of his friends, he'd um, hacked his phone and put lots of inappropriate images that his wife then discovered on his phone? Sean. <laughs> I, uh, what do you, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh... Yeah, the, I mean, it, it, overall, these are the kind of things that we want to have out there. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. uh, back to Ryan's whole point with Stroker Race, uh, you know, Stroker Race is nothing but a compilation of weird pranks and antics and whatnot, and that still is true today. It's just maybe not as discussed. Uh, so something like Will Turner putting a bunch of adult photos on RJ <laughs> Valentine's phone uh, is a perfect example of, like, how this stuff still goes on, and we need to be celebrating that as right. opposed to being offended by it i i, I totally agree i mean i i i'll give you a, a similar similar story i met i sat at a dinner it was quite a quite a posh dinner down in london and i sat next to the guy that runs mclaren at the corporate level and i i, I about had a heart attack and uh but you know he said he, he said oh you work in the whiskey business and i said yeah yeah i do and uh, he goes well do you know what me zach brown and um andreas seidel do and I was like, um, no, go on. And uh, he says, well, on, on a Monday night, we always have a, a conference call with the Bahrain investors in McLaren. And they're usually it's usually a pretty difficult phone call. He says, so what we do is we have a scotch about four o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday for an hour or so. And we just leave our weapons at the door and we just share a scotch and it just mellows everything out. And I was like, this is McLaren's meant to be the most square place in the world. I mean, this is <laughs> right. You wouldn't believe that, would you? Right. You know, so, awesome. yeah, yeah. I like that story. Yeah. Um, now we'll go while we're uh, on the subject of guests. You've had a couple of, let's say, controversial people on the show. You've had, you know, in sports car racing in particular has attracted some controversial people. Of course, 
for the listeners that don't know, sports car racing is it's really unique and real. I find it really special because if you can't, you know, go to the Super Bowl and throw the touchdown pass or you know, you know, hit a home run in 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 the World Series or whatever, but you can go to Le Mans if you've got the money and the, the license, you can go to Le Mans and race. And of course, that attracts very wealthy people. You've had. Michael Avenatti, you know, lawyer to Stormy Daniels, who took on Donald Trump, and Scott Tucker, who was involved in Scandal. And you interviewed both of them while they were in the middle of legal proceeding, which eventually saw them in jail. How did you guys approach those interviews? What was it like? What was it like from your perspective? In terms of getting the interview or in terms of once we were conducting it? Well, both, actually. You know, how you prepare for that and how you... Because I know, like... I, you know, both of them appeared to be. They both revealed more than I would probably expect them to, given the the circumstances at the time. What What was your kind of just your general account of the whole experience? Uh, a lot of huh? How did this happen? Uh, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll let Ryan describe the approach. But in terms of the uh, getting them, um, the trick to getting folks like that to come on is to ask. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like it's 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 the funniest thing because it's uh I don't want to speak for Ryan, but uh, a lot of like when when we got both of those interviews, it was probably the most common thing we would get from within the paddock. Like, how did you get that? How did how did he come on? And I think in both of our cases, it's like, well, we just asked, and it didn't like it really wasn't a whole uh, wasn't a whole lot of back and forth Mm -hmm. uh, because they were both actually excited to come on and let their story be heard. But I think part of that is is the approach that we take, and I'll let I'll let Ryan take that part. Yeah, and, and to kind of give a little background on both of them, we, with uh, Scott Tucker, for example, we had done the Level 5 episode and the Jeff Brown episode in Season 1, Yeah, and it went super popular, and really, but I think there's a reason we had the success we had, because it put us on the map, and uh, he heard it, and, and Scott Tucker, being Scott Tucker, was like, well, I, I want to tell my side, and we were like, okay, well, we want to do that too, but we also need to ask, because we're going to get roasted if we don't mention anything, and he was like, okay, and when we asked him about it, he said, well, I figured you'd let me tell my side. Now, the key part of what he just said is why we're able to get these things, but it's also who we are in general. Mm-hmm. Like, I might not agree with Scott Tucker's business practices, sure. or I might totally agree, but I am not a business professional. Yes. I don't know anything about the things he does for a living, so I can't really put him on the spot because I, I'd be doing it an injustice because I'm not a real journalist. Mm-hmm. I'm a race car driver that has a side gig that has become pretty successful and Sean's not a you know financial industry insider so we'll ask questions but it's really not our episode so if he wants to say that ups is down and down is up it's uh, okay if you say so yeah now, if he questioned if he, if he decided to t- say something about racing that I'm absolutely an expert on or media stuff like Sean is absolutely an expert on as well as racing then we'll happily, you know, go back and forth on stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's important because if I say, well, I don't agree with you on that at all. Well, now it's about me and that's not what the episode's about. It's his side of his story and a perfect example of this. And I'm not, it's not something I go to bed thinking about at night, but like Tony Stewart is very big on hunting. Yes. He uh-huh, has like course. a hunting thing. And I don't like that. I don't think it's something that's great. And it's just cause you know, for obvious reasons sure. or something. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But if I, if I sat there and I was like, well, hang on a second. I don't like that. Well, like, tough shit. That's not, it's not my episode. It's Tony Stewart's episode. Yeah. And it's a real thing that he does and he wants to talk about it. So, okay. Now, if he said to me, like, well, what do you think of that? I'd be like, well, I don't agree. <laughs> yeah, know? sure. Yeah, but, yeah. 
but if I sit there and start put, putting my agenda onto them, well, now the episode's turned into something else. And I think we've been good about doing that with everybody. Like we've interviewed drivers that I've had a issue with on track before mm-hmm. that I'm like, mm. and we've had guests say things on the air that we're like, Ooh, don't like that at all. But we just have to kind of eat it and let them tell their story. Cause in the end, that's what this is about. Yeah, I, I, I think I've, I think I could imagine some of the the, answer, the the examples of that where I think it's you you just got I guess you just got to trust what the the listener will be able to. The, I think you're you're absolutely right. You do give them that fair opportunity. On the the, the Michael Avenatti episode, of course, he in fact he actually raced at Daytona with um, a guy I know, Rory Butcher, um, who used to race GT and is now in British Touring Cars, and he raced with Michael in uh, 2015 uh, at Daytona. It was the one time he went he went over there. Um, yeah. but he, um, you know, he was one of the, one of the more, most recent episodes. And of course I, I felt that you, you guys got with, whilst showing him, you know, the, without, um, you know, without uh, basically antagonizing him, you got, a, were you surprised how much he revealed in that interview? Would you say? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Um, the thing about Avenatti that we both found interesting and I don't think he would he would disagree if he heard this interview. Uh, when we interviewed Scott Tucker, the sense of like his his understanding based on his body language was that he was not going to go to jail. <laughs> like right. Days later. Sure. <laughs> and when we interviewed Avenatti, uh, you could tell that Mike had an absolute sense of like you know he felt like he had probably done some things wrong and that he could have done some things differently. And when we started talking about family with him, you could really see it on his face that he was like having some hard thoughts okay and what we can't do is put a camera on stuff like that because the first thing that we noticed especially when we're doing our real tv stuff now and we and we've thought about this since the get-go sean was very smart to say if we film this people are going to change once there's a camera involved people button up pretty quickly but when you're comfortable and you have the headset on it's an intimate meal things get shared that might not necessarily get shared if there's a camera on and i think because it was a podcast with avenatti his exactly like you could see i don't want to say guilt necessarily but definitely having a sense of like you know remorse for some of the things that maybe he did or or the way he felt about it and that was something that was like wow that's interesting to see and obviously you know because i think sean you asked him how many counts he had pending or knew the number or thought we knew the number and then he said oh no it's more than that and it was like oh okay Correct. <laughs> that was a very good pause for effect there. Very good. Yeah. What he said. <laughs> the um, we'll 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 change the we'll we'll change the uh the the path. Tell us about you mentioned the TV show. Tell us about the Amazon Prime show. What was that like for you guys? It going from you know going from a podcast to all of a sudden you're on one of the biggest streaming platforms in the world. How did that all come about? Uh, well, I mean, it, it came about in very, very fortunate ways. It's just, uh, you know, Ryan and I are always looking to expand on what we're doing and trying to find ways to, to continue to grow. And, and the other part of it is that we're both fairly competitive people, and I think competitive people typically get bored pretty easily. Sure, yeah. Uh, and so with with the podcast, you know, we, we knew that we wanted to do more in the video realm, and obviously coming from a video background, uh, plus Ryan's enjoyment of that kind of stuff and thinking about his own career. Uh, we knew that video would be another step. We'd kind of dabbled in that the previous year with a, a 
a video that we self-produced about Alan Kowicki, who was a uh, NASCAR driver who uh, uh, met an untimely end, but was you know very successful in a short amount of time on on his own conditions. So, um, so we'd already kind of proven what we were capable of with with virtually no money. Um, and honestly, just the the stars kind of aligned between uh, Continental's willingness to support us in growing the platform and and finding an avenue with Amazon Prime to make it all work. Uh, and so yeah, so we did this six uh, in 2019. We did a six part uh, documentary series where we did six episodes. All of them are about 30 minutes to an hour, uh, and they're all extremely different from one another. Uh, and then uh, that's going to continue on into 2020, and we'll just see where it goes from there. But uh, the the challenge, I, I don't know how to uh, – Ryan, you might actually be better to speak about the challenge because I feel like I knew what to expect knowing the video side. Ryan, what was it like for you? Because obviously you've done you you've shown up on camera for plenty of TV productions in the past, but this was the first time that you were actually the guy, you know, helping make it happen. It's a great great question, Sean. I'm glad you asked it. Which is me pausing to think about how to answer it. <laughs> the I would say it was I, I'm <laughs> I'm proud of things in my career that I've done uh, in racing and charity and stuff like that. But the the TV show is one of the things I'm really really proud of because it's seriously. 99% of what you see is Sean and I doing it with the help of like Sean's partner, Jason, from time to time. We brought in some people to help us for like certain shoots, but we're talking like for like one day, that was it, that we might have an extra camera person or a proper sound person. But like we went to Jamaica, just the two of us in a van full of equipment. And, you know, it's a lot of work and it's more, I think when you see how we did it behind the scenes, if you saw how we did it behind the scenes, it's a lot more work than you give it credit for. Sure. And I started as a mechanic, so I know a hard, long day's work of like monotonous stuff, tearing up, pulling down. And the way Sean likes to produce stuff is if uh, you don't ever want to tell him there might be something that we can get because we're going to go get it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then my, my attitude has to be as much as I don't want to climb over that brush hill and go walk through the jungle in Jamaica with a camera and a light and all this stuff, if that's the shot that gets us the next cool thing that we have to do it and so our stubbornness towards one another i think actually helps quite a bit because it's like i don't want to do that but i know he's going to get the shot that we need and that's going to make me look cool so i want to look cool so i guess we got to go do this <laughs> you know so it's been interesting on the other side if uh, my racing career finally you know if i finally get found out to be a fraud which is any day now <laughs> i can at least set up lighting and and production stuff just enough that i'm dangerous as sean puts it so I can probably just get a job doing like, you know, key light guy on like commercials. Well, that's and I bet you'd never expect to have learned a skill like that when starting up a, a podcast with a few friends. No, absolutely not. And um, the, 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 like Sean, Sean mentioned it perfectly. We're both competitive. Obviously, that's the nature of my my real career. Mm -hmm. And I'm I don't want to say smart enough because that's really an oxymoron, but. I'm smart enough to know that road racing is hard as hell to get opportunity in. I currently have a great opportunity with a major manufacturer. That can end tomorrow, especially in today's times. Sure. But I am the only driver in the IMSA paddock, period, that has a podcast, a TV show, a championship under his belt, a factory involvement, and a partner that can really show, showcase that and utilize that. And so I understand that I am valuable to a brand or to a partner or a sponsor because of all these extracurricular activities we have. So if I have to do a 30-day road trip across the country for 14,000 miles, 
but then I have that bargaining chip when we sit down to talk about contracts for the next year. I know that's well worth it in a world that's very small and getting smaller and harder to find opportunity. So for me, it's absolutely vital that we put out the best, coolest stuff possible because I know how many fans come to see us at racetracks now because of the podcast and the TV show. And I know how many people don't come to see others based on the interactions I've had. And it's, it's empowering. It makes you want to do a better job and, and try to, you know, be a good ambassador to the sport. So that's part of it for me. And through our partnership with Continental, we've been able to take Sean from doing multiple jobs for multiple teams. And now he's a hundred percent dinner with racers. And my biggest thing about Sean is he's the smartest, most creative person I've ever met. And he's never really gotten the credit or the, or given the, you know, opportunity to do exactly what he wants. And right now we have amazing partners that literally say, here's sponsorship. Don't embarrass us. See you in the fall. And to me, I think that's a huge win for Sean. Well, that, that's uh, I mean, that's yeah, why that part, sorry. Go on, Sean. My apologies. Go on. Oh, no, just I'll, I'll be very quick, but, but that part is huge to me. And it's, it's, uh, uh, I've, I've shed a lot of, we still do some corporate work outside of racing, but I've been able to shed most of my, my motorsport clients in order to just focus on this. And, you know, Ryan will back me up when I say we are not getting rich. Uh, but I don't know that I'll ever have another opportunity to, within the confines of our budget, at least be able to have com- not complete, but a lot of creative freedom to just kind of make whatever we want to make and you never know if you get an opportunity like that again and so that's one of the reasons why every episode we've we've really tried to focus on making every episode kind of unique in its own thing because if we were doing this for a major uh there are a, there are a lot of networks to, uh, that probably wouldn't allow us to have this kind of freedom but with, between continental's backing and you know the platform with amazon prime we're pretty much allowed to do anything we want as long as it doesn't embarrass continental and uh, so I don't know they'll ever get another opportunity like this again. So that is probably one of the most supreme things I'm thankful for with this deal. I can imagine it was Continental was definitely it was one of the first things I wrote down on my my sheet of paper. It's it's uh, obviously they've been in since the very beginning. I mean, tell tell the listeners about how you know how you initially struck that deal with Continental Tire and how it's evolved and more so one the bit that always fascinates me is what could because there's many podcasts that have sponsors not and they're not always relevant to the podcast but obviously continental tire fits perfectly with the type of podcast that you have you know what what is it specifically then that they're looking for out of that partnership so when we first started kicking this idea around they were the main sponsor for what's now called the michelin pilot challenge <laughs> uh, but basically it's like the, uh, the the tier down from the weather tech series and imsa yeah and it's where a lot of drivers end up or are because there's just so few opportunities in the weather tech series for the year and uh the budgets are through the roof whereas the what was called the continental tire series is a little bit more affordable and it's a little bit you know it's just more of a realistic thing for for a gentleman writing a check so it just always seems like there's more opportunity there yeah so i've been racing in that series since like oh three and if i finished my career in that series i'd be stoked because it's awesome racing and continental came in they were the first sponsor that that series had had since i started it in 2002 i think they came in around 2009 or 10 and they would literally send their people to the driver's meetings and they'd be like hey guys if you need a set of street tires let us know for your cars hey, if the mechanics need three tires, we'll, we'll get them some tires. And I was like, wow, these guys actually care about us. That's cool. And then they did a deal where if you said Continental Tire in a nice way on TV, they'd send you a prepaid gift card. So you're telling me you're a sponsor wow. already of the series, and you're going to pay me to say good things about you? So you can imagine every chance I got on TV, I was like, hey, <laughs> you know, Continental's awesome. Was that where so, was that where the catchphrase began of, of literally saying the company name but in a high-pitched voice? 
honestly, <laughs> that came up just randomly in the first season. But how <laughs> dare you? No, no, that was months of planning. Sorry. Months of planning. It went through. We went through. Uh, we went through focus groups. Focus groups. We went right. through a committee. Uh, we had we had several different things up on a whiteboard as we were looking at it. I was like, which one should we circle? It wasn't gonna... just something. Wasn't something you just came up with in ten seconds inside of a car. Right. Just like the chicken sandwich thing was the exact same process. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what what I recognized pretty quickly was that Continental was serious about this because they would send their director of marketing, this guy named Travis Rothler, to our drivers' meetings, and I was like, wow, I don't know any of the people that were part of the, the previous sponsors of this series, and this guy's here all the time, and they'd come and talk. And at that point, I recognized that NASCAR drivers were using Twitter like crazy, so I started using Twitter like crazy, and I would tag Continental in everything I would post because they were the series sponsor. Yep. And so we met a woman named Sherry Herman who worked at Continental at the time, and and Sean was getting to know her as well because he was doing media for several race teams. So they were always in, you know, the same media centers and, and events and things like that. And so they came to me before DWR existed and they said, Hey, you're doing a great job with this continental tagging. You're the only driver utilizing our branding. Hmm. Would you like to go on a, would you like to go to SEMA, the automotive trade show? It's the biggest one in the world. And just like do social media for us and show everybody what you see. And I'd never been to SEMA. I was like, hell yeah, I'll go to Vegas for free. <laughs> oh, oh, you're going to pay me to go? Even better. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. And so that that built the relationship. They also partnered this, sponsored this thing called the Hot Rod Power Tour, which is like a five-day road trip across the country with all these old hot rods. I had no idea what it was. And they said, wow. hey, we loved having you go to SEMA. Would you go do this as well? And just, it's, it's your, you know, don't embarrass us. You're in charge of social media for us. Show us what you find. And I was like, okay. And so that kind of built the relationship. So with Sean being close with Sherry Herman and working with her on a regular basis and us having this relationship that was already building on Continental side, when we went to them, they literally were like, yeah, no problem. And it was like, oh, 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 okay. And the final, like the final reason this works, and I'm not blowing smoke, the final reason this works is that our fans are diehard supportive and immediately started buying the Continental tires when they saw the show, what the show was. Yeah. And when they started buying the tires, immediately people at Continental are like, well, that worked for the amount of money they gave us versus the return on investment. Mm -hmm. They were like, oh, this is, we got to keep doing this. And so really it lives and dies because the fans were over the top supportive. And I tell people all the time that we might not have the biggest fan base, but we absolutely have some of the most supportive fans of any form of racing on the planet because they go above and beyond for us. Well, I'll give you a good example of, of, of why you're absolutely right there. I was at Silverstone uh, last last autumn for the uh, WAC race, and I was in the queue for pizza, and I saw this lady who had a Dinner with Racers t-shirt on. And I, I was like, so I went up yes. to her, I said, yeah, no, you're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna laugh who it is. And I, I said, oh, I said, do, do you this is, it was, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was Vicky. So I, I said, amazing. I said, "Oh, you 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 listen you listen to the number of races." She goes, "Yeah, I I know the guys that do it." I was like, "No way!" I was like, "You got to tell them that they've got a fan in Scotland," and and we kept in touch. And she said, "Oh," and I told her what I was trying to do. I said, "I'm trying to get into commentary, and that's why I do my own podcast and stuff." And she goes, "Right, I follow you on Twitter and blah blah." And and then we stayed in touch. And she she would played a big part in me going and and uh, coming out to the the Rolex Twenty Four this year. And I was due to come to Sebring as well, but Vicky is a big, big, big part of that. But that all came down to a dinner with Racers t-shirt. That's awesome. 
yeah, I remember when there Vicky went go. over there. Yeah, she was tweeting us saying like, "Hey, look, you know, people recognize you over here," and that's been really, really neat. And Sean and I both like the phrase, "You can get a million fans, but you have to get them one at a time." And if you can do something for a fan, like a Vicky Miller, for example, where they care enough to go buy your T-shirt for your podcast, not for the race car or for the you know the event, but the the T-shirt for our podcast, and then you see that at racetracks. We went to Indianapolis for the Grand Prix race two years ago. Sorry for the for the uh, IndyCar Grand Prix race. Yeah, and th- there are people all around us with our stuff on. They didn't recognize us, and we were like, "This is crazy," you know. And that just blows our mind. That that is incredible. Well, the other thing I'm hearing, uh, it sounds like uh, Peter. We've made your career. You have. <laughs> you you you, you so, have. You know, as, just remember that. <laughs> As well, you, as you continue to grow in your career, just remember it was a hundred percent because of us. Well, you you do you you joke about that, but actually, there from Ims as a series which I've just in the last not last few years have just got more and more excited about, and uh, you know a lot of that's come down to you know listening what you guys do and and I you know I've interviewed uh, I mean I at the Rolex Rolex Twenty Four I got to interview Wayne Ricky and Jordan Taylor all together. Which, which was uh, that was surreal to be honest, and they were they were so they were so fun, and then I interviewed Catherine as well, uh, and Ryan DL, and I was due to come to Sebring, but of course that got cancelled. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's it's, uh, it's it's I would I would be uh, I would I would give you that one. Um, where should we go next? Okay, who has where was the best and worst food? Or the, I should ask you, Sean, where was the best and worst chicken sandwich? <laughs> Uh, I, you know, this is a question I should be prepared for because, uh, because of course, this is a very uh, expected question. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say, I'll say this. Uh, I've had many great chicken sandwiches, but I'm still looking for the best one in the future. Oh my god! Oh. Ah, 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 ah. Oh, it. You should be in politics, Sean. Uh, I don't know where the worst would be in terms of just chicken sandwich or overall food. Because see, it, it, what's funny is the food starts to blend together in terms of what's you know what's good and what's bad. Mm-hmm. You, you remember weird stories about the service itself. Okay. Um, so like you know there, uh, I won't tell that story of the of that one restaurant that got our name wrong because that's been yeah. said before. Yeah. Uh, but like, oh. <laughs> do you remember the waitress in Colorado, Ryan? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, and, and this isn't. Uh, yeah, the cold Pern episode uh, uh, when we were in Colorado. Like, this isn't a story about the food, but yeah. like, you just remember these weird things that stand out. Like, we we had a uh, it, it's part of our our routine for the podcast uh, when we're when we start setting it up. You know, a lot of times, you know, we'll talk to a manager or an owner or something like that a day or two before. But you know, the message isn't always clearly communicated, and, and it's a little bit confusing if you're the waiter uh, to know what exactly is going on with these two idiots setting up headphones and stuff yeah. so we give them the whole two minute spiel of just like hey it's just a normal dinner just treat us like anybody else it's just ignore all this you can interrupt us and all the other stuff um, and so this waitress in Colorado could not have been friendly or just a normal yeah. you know uh, woman doing her job yeah. um, and then something midway through changed and I don't think it was related to us where she hated us like right. she came in and just like threw the plates at us and wouldn't make eye contact and was just like here's your check and was like I'm, what did we what yeah, did we I'm, do I'm convinced she got like dumped 
like midway through the meal. Yeah. Like her boyfriend or girlfriend texted her and was like, yeah, I'm out. You know, because she just evolved. Yeah. Know? It started it out like, just... oh, this is neat. And then at the end of it, like you said, it's just like, uh, are you done yet? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, could not have, have uh, been more excited to have us leave. It was the weirdest experience we've That's had. That's bizarre. And there was zero interaction with her to think that we even pissed her off. Right. Right. Yeah. Sean, what was the name of the kid from Brian Till's restaurant? Oh. I keep wanting to say it was Hemingway, but it was something like that. Yeah, it was Hemingway. Uh, uh, oh, God, I'll have to think of it. Yeah, we yeah. had a um, – so we one of our things when we uh, when we give the kind of spiel is to remind the waiter that – like it can be intimidating when you see like a recording box and headsets and all that. Like, yeah. If you're a you know waiter, you don't know if you're supposed to interrupt or can you. And it's actually become a problem. Because what happens is then people don't serve us. So we'll go 45 minutes or an hour with a guest and like no one will come and, and take our orders and whatnot. And you can you can sense, you know, a lot of times these guests come in hungry <laughs> and now it's been an hour and you're like, well, between ordering and getting the food, it's going to be another 30 minutes. Right. Um, so at a certain point, you're just like, where is the waiter? We really, really need to start getting service in here. So we always give them the spiel ahead of time. Hey, you know, it's don't don't worry about interrupting. You're not going to get us upset. It's not live. You're not going to ruin anything by interrupting and asking for food or, you know, refills and all that kind of stuff. So there was this young kid when we did uh, the Brian Hill interview in Ohio. Who we give him the same spiel and he took it the other way. Yeah. Which was this was his moment. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh no. And like. <laughs> He started interrupting and giving us like his stand-up routine and monologues, right. and it was like, "Yeah, we got it, man. All right, thank you." Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, oh god, I can, but his name was so perfect. Yeah, it, like the act we were film. getting. Right. God, and now I can't think of what it was. It was like some. If it was like 1912, Barnaby it fit in with the rest of the country, but it didn't. Right. Yeah, it was. It was. What was it? Now I can't think of what it was. Yeah. Uh, it'll come to me after the fact, right. and I'll have to email you. Yeah, so uh, worst food for me, Sean, do you remember when I got food poisoning at the Canoe House? I do remember the Canoe House in Pasadena, yeah. California. Yeah, yeah, the one that's like right next to your house, so we see it yeah. all the time when we're out there filming, and I always like yep. train. Yep. Yeah, I can't remember what I had, but we were interviewing Eric Valdez, who does some racing. He's also an actor and a super nice kid, and I like Sean and I are always linked up during the episodes, so we can kind of like queue up like hey i've got a thing about what he's saying let me go next or whatever mm-hmm. and uh and it doesn't stop the conversation like hey hold on you know and yeah. i just messaged him like dude i'm something's wrong like something's wrong wrong and he's like okay and they're half the second half of that episode i'm literally trying not to throw up on the table or like oh, fall no. around the floor. yeah yeah and then well we- <laughs> and what was funny about that was you clammed up for the 10 minutes prior to that text and that was out of character. Like normally, uh, you know, we try and have a somewhat balance in the way we talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because Eric is an actor first, uh, beyond being a driver, um, we started talking a lot of Hollywood stuff. So I was noticing that Ryan was checked out, but I thought it was maybe because Eric and I were talking about like the LA production scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, but little did I know it was because Ryan was just trying not to throw up over Eric and his fiance. Oh, yeah. Dear. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, how, yeah. What do you think? The, go on. What do you think the best food we ever had, Sean? What do you think the best food we ever had was? Well, Ryan, to rehash a joke I just made, I've had <laughs> many great chicken sandwiches, <laughs> but I'm still looking for my best in the future. Right, but like, what do you think is the place that stands out? Like, wow, it's Doug Bowles at Indy. 
Uh, oh, Doug Bowles at Indy. Right. Yeah. Remember that? Remember Doug yeah. Bowles at yeah. So uh, Doug Bowles at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I remember the night before. So Doug called us. Uh, we had just finished up another interview. And Doug called us uh, to get a sense of what we were doing for the next day because we were, we were heading over to where he was at Indy. And I'll never forget his first question was, how big is your crew? And I was like, there's no crew. It's just Ryan and I with some headsets and some computers. Uh, it's really not a big thing. He's like, okay, I'm just trying to work it out with catering. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> We, we don't need catering like we're fine just picking food up I mean we don't like Doug don't trouble yourself this isn't this isn't that big of a deal uh, and Ryan I'll let you describe what happened when we arrived <laughs> yeah we pull up and it's literally the pavilion the world famous pavilion inside the racetrack it's in the base like bottom level ground level which has garage doors to it because they use it for like everything during the month of May you know they have all sorts of big corporate events and yeah. like they have cars in there and but it's literally the yard of bricks is like five feet from where we ate dinner. Wow. And on top of that, there was like five tables, like a buffet set up. And it was like one of everything. There was like a, a seafood option, a chicken option, steak option, salad, appetizers, cookies. They had, we still have these. They had little milk bottles, like traditional old milk bottles. Like they give the drivers, but they were like, you know, like shot, like big, maybe a little bigger than a shot glass. And we both were like, do we get to keep these? And Doug's like, yeah, yeah, take everything. Like, take whatever you want. And it was like, he pulled out all the stops for our dumb podcast. And we ate on the yard of bricks, maybe maybe 20 yards from the, from the checkered, you know, start finish line. And it was like a spread for 20 people. And it was like, this is not like, this doesn't happen to anybody, let alone us. This is amazing. And then to Doug's credit and character, because he's like the coolest guy ever, there were people that were working there, like serving us and like, you know, cleaning things up and all that. And he's like, hey, guys, take whatever you want home. And then I'm going to let them all have whatever. And we're like, yeah. So we talked. Yeah, lots of gentlemen. But he let like all the people that were working that night, because they don't do night dinners at the Speedway. I mean, obviously, this is like a specific thing for us. And he's like, yeah, guys, take that, take that to go. And like you guys, and so like we're, we're boxing up food with like the guy that made it, you know, and it was super cool. And uh, it turned out the chef there was a fan of our show, which is like, oh, so he came out and met us. And it was just like that, that will never not stand out to me as one of the coolest things we've ever got to do. Was, was is that one of those ones where yeah, you get in the car and you just start, just, sorry, Sean, go on. Oh, sorry, just real quick, Paul Kelly, who uh, does a lot of PR with Doug Bowles, I gotta, we, we have to give some credit to him because he really sold this up to Doug. Yeah. Uh, and without Paul, I don't know that any of this would have happened, but it, it went a long way. Yeah. Sorry. And is, it, is that one of those one of those interviews where you both get in the car and look at each other and just sort of giggle slightly, go, how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on, yeah and then we, dude, we, have a, we have a tradition, are we going to tell a tradition? Go on. Oh yeah, we can. But uh, that was like that's like two thirds of our interviews, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. Uh, anytime we have a good interview, or let's face it, a bad interview, we get ice cream afterwards. <laughs> so I like, like that. So immediately you're like, all right, find a drive-through with ice cream because that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go for that. Yeah, that actually that that woke us up to a phenomenon in in the United States. I don't know that it's carried over to the UK, but it's probably not worth getting getting into here. But we're We've become very aware of a conspiracy that's plaguing the United States, or at least was. Yeah. Oh, do uh, tell. Are you familiar? Are you familiar with the um, soft serve problem at McDonald's? 
the soft serve problem. The late night soft serve. Is, is it soft serve? What do they call it? Well, yeah, we, 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 it's called McFlurry here. McFlurry, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, it's not just McFlurry because you're in Scotland, all right? <laughs> yeah. Um, right. We had it too. Yeah. McDonald's is Scottish, right? <laughs> I'm from Scotland. I know what McDonald's is. We get it. <laughs> uh, it just sounds better when it comes when it rolls off the Scottish tongue. But, uh, uh, so I would honestly say it's like 75% of the time when you arrive at a McDonald's after 10 o'clock, for some reason the McFur- uh, McFlurry machine is, quote, not working. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. Which is code. Oh, so that's a thing in Scotland? Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. is. And yeah, so we've yeah. done some digging and we think it's because they start cleaning it early because they don't want to wait till the last minute sure. you know, so they get out of there early and so they just lie to you and tell you that it's broken and so we got to the point where we were filming because we get done with dinner it's late you know then we go like we've got to get ice cream because clearly that one great yep. and then we get there and they're like oh yeah sorry machine's broken to the point where we were filming the interactions because <laughs> we were going to do like a video of it because <laughs> there's so many of them <laughs> Yeah, we, funny, we have a lot of bits. F- funny enough, whenever I go, whenever I go to Holland, and I go on, funny, similar kind of thing, go on a tour with uh, with our with our agent over there and do whiskey tastings and stuff. And of course, you're talking for like two and a half hours, and you're you're you're, and it's a long drive back to the hotel. And the uh, we have an, a tradition where we have a, a a magnum ice cream from the gas station on the way home. It's it's absolute. Yeah, yeah win, draw, or lose, you you have an, an ice cream and. Uh, yeah, that's that's when I can I can order certain things in in Dutch, but that's when I, I, my, it falls up falls apart. I just sort of have to point at it and <laughs> and I feel quite embarrassed. <laughs> now, talking of um, good interviews, one of my absolute favourites was Randy Lanier. And for our listeners who don't know who Randy Lanier is, Randy is probably one of the most well, how would you say probably one of the most successful while he was at it, one of the most successful drug smugglers in history, and a pretty handy race car driver, and spent a long time in jail. But he he was just amazing on that interview. What what was it like for you guys to to sit down and chat with him? And was it a surprise how open he was about his experiences? Are, are we allowed to cuss on this? Go on, yeah, go for it. Uh, okay, because there's a backstory for our next guest that we had after that, which Ooh. we'll get to in a second. But okay, uh, I, I grew up in sports car racing. My dad worked with John Paul Jr. and Sr., which they also had a drug operation. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so the Lanier's, the Whittingtons, all these stories from my childhood were like, are, are like still important to me and a big deal. And so when we got Randy Lanier, we could we were like, oh my god, this is going to be awesome. And then on the same day, coincidentally, not at all planned, we also had lunch with Don Whittington, yep. who was also extremely hard to get sorted out. And the big thing was is that Randy Lanier could be amazing. He might not be. We don't know yet. We haven't had any real interaction with him. But also, we have to drive to Texas that night into the next morning because the next afternoon we had Eddie Gossage mm-hmm. who is the Texas Motor Speedway president and also a total character so we know he's going to be good and so Sean and I were like okay we got to get Randy for obvious reasons but if we don't get him we have to we, what did we say 9.30 was the hard out Sean yeah something like that yeah it was like 9.30 is the hard out because we have to drive from South Florida yeah. like Fort Lauderdale 
all the way to Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, which is like an 18-hour drive or something ridiculous. Exactly. And, and to interrupt real quick, 9.30 was the calculated time to drive straight there with no brakes. Oh, God. Yeah, that was like the absolute latest we can leave is 9.30. Yeah. yeah. And so Randy had just gotten out of like, was it 28 years of prison or something? And yeah, so, right. something like that. And so yeah. he... He, when you get out of prison after that kind of time and for that level of uh, crimes and stuff, I guess you get put into like probation and you get a halfway house that you have to live in for a while and you have to have a job and you have to have proof that you were there. And part of that is you have chores. And so he's texting us, not very often either, kind of like, oh, yeah, hey, I'm coming. I got to do this. He calls us, hey, I got to get groceries for the house first as part of my parole and all this and we're like all right like how long are we gonna wait and it's getting up there it's getting later and later and we're sitting at a restaurant delray beach which is a very expensive place to be and we're sitting at a sidewalk cafe and you can tell they are not happy that we're taking up this table so we're ordering just like random stuff so we don't <laughs> get mad and kick us out yep so we're having like uh we'll have more uh more mushroom caps i guess you know, just like whatever <laughs> and so he sits down i think he got there at like nine ish and as you've heard, he just opens up and tells us everything. And as yeah. you put it, I did, I did, you know, 30 years in prison. I can say whatever I want, you know. And so he gave us one of the greatest, what I refer to on a regular basis as the greatest meal I'll ever have in my life. Because he was so kind. His look on his face, he was just like happy that we, it, it, it's one thing to go and interview somebody. But he knew that we knew who he was. Yeah. And and he just appreciated that we knew his story so much that he was like oh you guys are awesome and to this day if we call him for stuff he's like hey guys like no he's like our friend wow and just the look on his face when he was telling us all these things it was like there's pain because he spent so much time in prison and missed a lot of things with his family Mm -hmm. there's obviously just being in prison would be horrible for that long but also like he lived a life that nobody else for the most part ever ever will and he couldn't be happy to be there with us and so Sean and I are always linked up and I typed out onto my phone. I, I went to send him a message and I couldn't see that he had already sent me one, but I typed out the words and I quote, fuck gossage. Because, <laughs> 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 because the stories were so amazing. It was like, I don't care if we go to Texas, we have to, we have to keep going. He's amazing. You know, yeah. He's telling us all these amazing things. And as soon as I hit send, Sean had already sent me the exact same <laughs> quote. Fuck gossip. And it was like, ah! Like, look at that. And that's nothing to do with Eddie, but it was just like... Yeah, so just to be clear, that has nothing to yeah. do with the dislike of Eddie. Yes. Really, that we didn't... Like, we, if we had to sacrifice the Eddie Gossage interview to get a great Randy Lanier one, we were willing to. <laughs> yeah, and knowing Eddie Gossage now, he would have been like, yeah, don't don't come you know like get that interview and so uh i think that's one of the funniest things that we both texted the exact same thing without even thinking about it to each other because it's like this is unbelievable and uh probably like i said even if like the audio didn't there was some sort of weird interference so the audio is a little off on that one but i i don't care because for the rest of my life i will always think that that was probably the greatest meal i'll ever have with someone I think it's it was just uh, it was like something out of uh, I'm I'm sure many many books and movies might be made about it in time. But I was I remember driving along in the car listening to it, and when he started to talk about when he was in the very last bit when he was on the run, and they virtually surrounded him on his boat with about twenty ships, and I thought is this is like something out of a Hollywood movie, but it was absolutely true, wasn't it? Yeah, one hundred percent. And that was that was the stuff that we couldn't get enough of. Was just yeah. The I mean, the guy told it exactly as it was, and and 
I think Ryan and I will both say the same thing generally about our guests is our favorite episodes are the ones that we're not we don't expect yes uh, mm-hmm. because you don't necessarily know what you're going to get and our communication with Randy up until that episode was pretty sparse you know yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, between where he was living and whatnot like you couldn't you couldn't get him on the phone. He, he didn't necessarily respond to emails. And it, it, it largely was because of this living situation and whatnot. Uh, so we would get just, you know, the occasional sentence coming back from him a few days later, like, okay, sounds good. And yeah. so we really didn't know, was this guy willing to talk? Was he going to tell a story? Is he even going to show up? I mean, literally until we saw him walk across the street, we weren't sure he was going to arrive because we'd had such sparse communication. So the fact that he then sits down and give us, you know, uh, one of our best interviews we've ever had, uh, will always go down to me as one of my favorite parts about that. I can, I can imagine. I mean, have there been any near misses? Have there been any any interviews that have fallen through at the last minute that you that you that have kind of fallen fallen by the wayside? Yes, but not because of the guest. Sure. Okay. Uh, Gossage. <laughs> Uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, the, the funny thing about Gossage was it happened. We actually, so we left uh, literally two oh, hours God. later. Yeah, we'd calculated the time that if we left at 9.30, we'd be able to get uh, the, I think, let's just say the, the meeting time was supposed to be 4 o'clock central. Yeah. Um, and so we always like to get there an hour early. So we'd been scheduled, and, and Eddie had a hard out. He had to be out by 5.15 or something. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, okay. um, so we'd had it scheduled or so we realized that if 9 30 came we had to go that was how we were going to make sure we got there by three and we left at 11 30 and we got there at four uh, <sighs> like so we actually didn't miss any recording time uh, yeah. we had to set up a little bit quicker and it was definitely because we're responsible drivers ryan we uh <laughs> i don't know how we shaved so much time but we were just uh lucky with traffic that was that was one of the yeah, I'm not going to say another word. It was scary. <laughs> <laughs> you say that an Acura MDX is a very good long-distance traveling vehicle. Great fuel mileage. We made the time by oh, barely having to stop. You spent the exactly. least amount of time in the pits. And traffic. Well, you know, a great tire with low rolling resistance can do that for you, and that's why I choose Continental Tire. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we did actually miss some interviews um, because uh, we, our car was broken into and all of our gear was stolen. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, so, we, yeah, we actually, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ron, but I don't think we've ever had a same day or day before flake in no. 130 episodes. I mean, we've had people weeks out decide they had to bail for whatever reason, but yeah. no one a day before has ever said, like, I can't or something come up or something. Wow. Um, I mean, there's even been the exact opposite. Like Tommy Kendall is a perfect example who was on the other side of the country the day before he was supposed to meet with us and literally bought himself a ticket to meet with us because he said he would, which is a story we can never tell enough because Tommy Kendall is such an amazing person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, no, we, we had three interviews uh, all set on one weekend in uh, Southern California a couple of years ago. And Friday afternoon, we uh, stopped to grab lunch um, in Santa Monica, California, which is sort of a, a beachside city in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And uh, we came back from lunch with the window shattered and uh, suitcases and Pelican cases taken. Oh, no. Yeah, it was painful. And the joke I like to make is, of course, they broke in after Amazon Prime cut off. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> we, we, it, was, it was Friday at 4.30 or 5. Like, we couldn't get any gear 
in time for the weekend. They're like the, the specifics that we needed weren't in any retail stores. So uh, I think Townsend Bell we had to cancel on because he was literally an hour later. Yeah. Uh, and to this day, we still haven't done Townsend as a result. Uh, but the, the interview that we were really looking forward to that weekend that we had to bail on was uh, Craig Breedlove, who's a land speed record holder. Um, and he's been in the kind of automotive scene for 50 years. There's a Beach Boys song named after him. He's just sort of somebody that, that Ryan and I both really, really looked up to. And nailing him down to the date that we did had been a process. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had like six cancellations and back and forth because Craig lives in different places. Our traveling schedule means that we're always in Southern California for very limited amounts of time and so getting the stars to align was difficult so when we finally did and then had to bail because of a theft it was uh, really painful but it worked out we got them last year I'm not myself the you always do in, in each episode you always do a, a pass along question so one the, the, the current guest asks a question to the next one has there been a particular pass along question where you've gone, oh god, I really don't want to ask that, but but we should for for entertainment value. Yes. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, go on. <laughs> there's, been, there's been several, but Ryan, would you like to take that? No, go for it, Sean. <laughs> okay. Because uh, I, I, I have kind of two. I have kind of two answers. There are some of our guests don't necessarily understand the concept. Okay. Right? And so I'm, I'm not going to name names, uh, but folks who are maybe not necessarily used to what podcasts are or quite understand what it is that we're doing, occasionally you'll come across somebody who, when you talk about pass-along questions, don't understand the concept and then proceed to not ask a question to the point that Ryan and I have to interpret. Like, they then just go on to tell a story. So, like, we, we had one guest. <laughs> um, we had one guest where... Uh, we had asked them about uh, the, the, our next guest and if they had a pass along question. And the next guest was somebody who'd been involved in sports car racing. And uh, the guest that we were with proceeded to then not ask a question, but then just tell the tell us how much they enjoy Porsches. They, but but like, it wasn't a question. It wasn't with a question mark at the end. It was like, I really like Porsches and blah, blah, blah. And was that Patrick Long? Okay, so no. No, I'm not giving anything more away. But uh, uh, but to the point we like had to just interpret that into making our own question and hope that nobody right. noticed. Okay. Right. Um, and uh, there's been occasionally, and I will name Terry Labonte's name in this one. There are, there are guests who are just don't care. And, and yeah. I don't say it in a bad way. Like Terry Terry Labonte, who's a, a huge NASCAR legend, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's won a, cha- a couple championships. Uh, Terry Labonte's the man, and his interview with us was fantastic. But He's at a point in life where if he doesn't feel like doing something, he's just not going to do it. So we're like, yeah. hey, do you have a pass-along question? Our next guest, I think our next guest was, was it Jeff Bodine? Yeah, I think so. Um, we're like, Jeff Bodine's our next guest. Do you have a pass-along question? He's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, thank you for sharing, All right, yeah, and, and that was that. Yeah, I, the one that stands out to me, because when, when you're asking people pass-along question, and we put this in the email to him ahead of time, and so some of them are great, and they're like, oh, yeah. I thought about this, and I want to know, and they actually look up the guest or whatever, and then sometimes, you know, they, they forget about it, and that's fine, too, and uh, we had Mario Andretti, and the next day was Parker Kligerman, and we're like, okay, Mario, uh, you know, tomorrow's guest is Parker Kligerman, and uh, are you familiar with him, and he was like, yeah, you know, he kind of knew who he was, but he wasn't, like, giving us a whole lot, so he's like, yeah, ask him if he likes dogs, and we're Mario like, Andretti. sure, that works. Perfect, Mario Andretti. You say whatever you want. You're a hero. And to this day, when I'm when I'm queuing up the pass along question to a guest, I'll say like, 
It could be something as elaborate as this, or Mario Andretti asks Parker Lerman, do you like dogs? It can be as simple as that, you know? So that, that stands out a lot. I think you, you, you could say if they say no to the, the not liking dogs, you can be like, oh, well, that's, you've got heart of stone, sir. Yeah, right. <laughs> Speaking yeah, of... Also, go on. I, it's also funny Nothing to say... Would have made, I'm sorry. Nothing would have made me happier to see uh, Parker Clearman get cancelled on Twitter over dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I have no time for your dog hatred, Parker Clearman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So speak, right. speaking of dogs yeah. and movies, the uh, have you watched The Art of Racing in the Rain and not cried? I've only seen like part of it. I, I how about you, Sean? I, I really, I feel like I can't answer this question. I feel bad saying I've only seen a part of it. <laughs> I I would I would be lying if I said I if I'd seen only a part of it. I've I I uh, I, I made the mistake of watching it on a plane. In fact, it was on the plane on the way out to the Rolex Twenty Four, and yeah, I was I was gone by the end of it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, I saw it, but I, I. It's fine. Do you is I I mean whenever we see like in in the trade where I'm from in the whiskey business, whenever we see like a TV show or a film about it, normally all we do is bitch and criticize about it because, well, because you 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 know you know the backside story. Is that the same with? documentaries or whatever about racing for you guys yeah i'm actually gonna throw this at ryan so i have a problem <laughs> when i watch documentaries so i'm too close to anything i see um, yeah and, and, and i don't i don't say this to be a dick uh but like i like ryan how many times have i before i ever given you an opinion on anything be like i'm curious what your opinion is before i give you mine how many times have i said that yeah all the time all the time and it's literally because like i can't tell anymore what is a real criticism versus a well that's not what i would do kind of attitude right. and i'm very <laughs> cognizant of how much i hate that on my, when people do that to me so i try not to be that way but at the same time it's very hard not to when you know the way you would approach it or when you see shortcuts taken that may not be obvious to an audience but you know what the shortcuts sure. are yeah um, you know there's a uh, there's a uh, documentary that's been out recently in the motorsport realm that's been very very popular that i will not give opinions on because i'm like i'm just an asshole if i give any criticism because even if i think it's fair i just become the internet if i'm just like man nah, i really wasn't that good you know what i mean so right. uh, i just don't want to be that guy are we talking about drive to survive here no, actually, I love Drive to Survive. I'm dead serious about that. I think it's exceptionally yeah. well done. Yeah, I like that. Um, Except for yeah, one thing. I, I, go ahead. The oh, voice right. of the guy. The fake voice of the guy <laughs> so they can narrate the story. Kills me. Kills me. Yeah. Like, they're like, oh, no, it's, it, it's so-and-so and so-and-so. You're like, that. no one ever mentioned the guy that finished 7th and 12th in the same sentence for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, the, the fake commentary is always exceptional. It's like, oh, Groshon is now up to seventh, and that's going to be critical in his points if he's going to try and keep his job over Magnuson. You just don't know how these things are going to unfold. What's Gunther Steiner going to think? Yeah, exactly. So, I'm pretty sure that wasn't on Sky when they yeah, did that. Right. Uh, no. So, no. That's uh, I'd love that well, show otherwise. And, and not to not to commandeer the interview, uh, Peter, but Ryan, you and I really haven't talked about this too much with like I don't know what you would pick up on before and after having been involved on the production side the way you have in the last year. When you see something like Drive to Survive or some of the documentaries out there, are you 
looking at these things differently now? Oh, I thought I, I thought we talked about this, but I, I it's ru- <laughs> making our show has kind of ruined it for me. Like I, I <laughs> <laughs> like I was watching. Uh, I don't want to say the show because I don't want to take the criticism the wrong way, but I was watching a show recently, like a new motorsports documentary, and it, it was good and I enjoyed it. But I noticed they kept using like the same exact clip a few different times, Ooh. and I'm like, well, no, you should have used some other B-roll. You know, like like don't use the same clip twice. Find something else instead. And I, and now I'm like, God, I would have never picked up on that like a year ago. Yeah. You know, or um. And not even a motorsports related thing, but I watched uh, this like highly controversial video about the pandemic that was out a couple weeks ago. And right off the bat, I'm like, why is the guy hosting it in the show? Like, he, it, it's an interview about a person. The guy doesn't need to be on it at all. Yeah. But then he can't make it about him. Right. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, ugh. and so things like that have just kind of changed it for me. And like one of the things, like we we talked about this before, Sean, but like when we watched Drive to Survive. I think the first season, Ricardo is like all over it. And at the time, he's teammates with uh, Verstappen, right? Yep. Yeah. And they'd never really show Verstappen. And Sean kind of made a good point. He's like, you know, this might not be right, but generally, when you're cool with the producers, they put you in a lot more. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. Like, I wouldn't be like, hey, this guy was a dick. Let's keep showing him in our episode. Yeah. And you notice Ricardo is like the star. And Verstappen's barely mentioned. It's like, ah, oh, I wonder if he yeah. didn't have time for this, you know? There's so an expression I, I love called make you want your editor to love you. And so uh, you, when you watch Drive to Survive, it's something I think about a lot because there yeah. are certain people they put in exceptionally good lights and some people they don't. And you're like, that, I don't know if that's true, but that may have more to do with how much time and willingness this person put in front of that production team to make themselves look good. Right. Well, I, I, interesting you say that because I have a very different view of Christian Horner than I did before watching that. My my opinion of him degenerated very quickly by the episode in that second series. Let's get into it. Yeah, because yeah, because before I thought you know, I mean the way like the way that like this. I don't know. Sometimes you never know if it's put on or not, and sometimes in Formula One I can be a bit cynical, um, but. It was like Red Bull are meant to be kind of like the fun team, and Christian Horner's like the kind of young team principal who's like, yeah, cool. Yeah. And then he's just absolutely roasting Pierre Gasly in the in the pit box right. in front of cameras, and I'm going, this this is either not realistic or this guy's just not a nice person overall. It's funny sure. you it's funny you mentioned Gasly because watching the final thing, I think Pierre Gasly didn't get enough time, and uh, and I actually really like the guy mm-hmm. only from race like i don't know anything about him personally um but I, I i cheer for him actively and i thought the way they handled that situation was so like uh and yeah i agree with you because i actually i i like christian Horner. i like the fact that he was a driver realized the writing was on the wall for him yeah switch gears and now he's like this like you said younger guy that's super successful and he's going to be around as long as he wants to be and i i think that's super cool um but yeah the gasly thing i was like guys like I just I don't think it was a fair shake, but yeah, that's interesting that you went the complete opposite direction on uh, on a, your impersonation because I I chalked it up to like well I don't agree with that situation but eh. yeah and it's and it, it's funny because I I never looked at it in either of those directions I looked at it as a as a necessary story point to to tell the story of what actually happens uh, and what I mean by that is is whether Christian Horner is a good guy or a dick right 
you know, the, the, they change drivers. That's nothing they can edit around. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. So they have to, from a story standpoint, they have to create a storyline that you can see it coming. Because if it was just like, oh, we love Gasly, we love Gasly, and he's fired. Like, yeah, you can't exactly. do that. That's terrible storytelling. So right. you have to dig for those clips where they berating him, where they show him make flaws, because otherwise, why would they have dropped him? You know, you're, you're sort of compelled to do that from a story standpoint. So right. it's funny, because I, I never, I never walked away with it any different opinion to be honest of Christian Horner maybe it's because I've always had a high one of him anyway but uh, I, I thought he looked fine I the the what's funny is of all the things in the Red Bull storyline on Drive to Survive there was one moment that stuck out to me and maybe it's because of the PR side of my career um, but when Albon makes the move up to Red Bull mm-hmm. um, they, they have a and this is clearly not staged they have a reporter immediately get into questioning about Albon's yeah. you know, family history yeah. and, and yeah. The, the problems that his mom had. And the PR guy with Albon shut it down quick and was a dick about it. And yeah. I was so happy to see that because like, I was like, that's what an actual PR person does. Right. Um, and I was like, that's actually his job because I, I can sometimes be a little bit critical of how PR people on our side of the country are with things. And in this case, this was a guy taking the action saying, no, no, we're not going to do this, but it was perfect from a storytelling standpoint to then set up the story of what actually happened with Albon's family. I thought it was very good. I thought it was all, it was kind of very, uh, in a way, it was it showed the kind of personal side where he's like, no, he's our guy, and if you try to if you try if you're going to try and screw me, I'm gonna I'm gonna embarrass you on 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 all Netflix, sir. But he deserved it. He deserved it. Exactly, um, and and I, I think Ryan would back me up. There's a lot of PR people on our side of the world who would have not interrupted, let the interview happen, and then played victim afterwards. Like I don't know how he got away with that. He said he wouldn't do it, and then he did it. Whereas this this young guy was like, no, I'm going to sit here in the middle of it, and I'm going to shut it down as soon as it comes up. Right. Uh, and I just I just respected the hell out of that process. Yeah, I I I completely agree. What I also noticed was that every single uh, crew chief in Formula One has the same BBC accent. <laughs> is it just one crew chief for every car it's like good job yeah. mate good job mate good job good job good job <laughs> um Grosjean is way, on hard yeah. <laughs> yep head down keep pushing yeah yeah that's great job mate great job great job <laughs> we're gonna steal that we're stealing yeah, that stealing that That's for sure fantastic. yeah who is the now talking of crew chief who is the biggest character crew chief in in IMSA would you say oh in IMSA oof crew specific or, crew or, or maybe team owner I... to, crew chief slash team owner Ryan, give you his take. I'm going to give you a very non-answer, which isn't being PR. Again. It's actually telling the truth. There are. We'll keep it to team owners for a second. Like it depends on what. Like, I, a lot of the sports car team owners that we've been around, um, many of them are compelling in their, in their own way, and it really depends on what you identify with. So, mm-hmm. for example, uh, Ryan and I are both big fans of Mike Shank, who runs yeah. a, a, mm-hmm. an NSX team right now in, in IMSA. And Mike Shank is extremely likable because he's this guy from Ohio that 
didn't grow up with money and kind of made his own way and made his own you know uh, team into what it is today and it's very very successful so he's extremely likable because he's such a down-home guy he loves his beer as much as anybody <laughs> um whereas you know obviously uh uh there's a team owner that i worked with closely through the years named john potter mm-hmm. uh, who i'm still very close personal friends with and john did not come from modest means he, he came up from a very wealthy upbringing mm-hmm. um and so he doesn't have necessarily that built to him but he's also incredibly funny um and he's done a good job over the years of of you know paying everybody on time and, and staying true to his commitments yeah um so it's hard not to like a guy like that and he's been so good with fan interaction so a lot of fans like his story and i love his story um or you know then on the complete other side of the spectrum you've got a guy like roger penske who isn't necessarily the world's biggest boisterous character but he may know a thing or two about running a successful racing yeah. and a successful <laughs> business and how could you not respect the hell out of that so it's like i don't one of the problems when you work so closely in a sport is you identify with so many characters that you kind of don't root for one anymore as much sure. as you root for a story that you find compelling right what about you right i would i would say crew chief wise dan banks is he's a bit of a character but he also works for one of the biggest organizations in motorsports so he can't exactly just be like dan banks you know but if you look at the people he's worked with and and the guys that work underneath him they love him you know and yeah. you don't love a guy who's hard to work for that's no fun and one of our favorite things about dan was that when we interviewed him because he's the corvette yeah. team prince team manager basically and he's like work he works on the cars you know what i mean like he's he's a real deal guy but we interviewed him at his local pub in like nowhere michigan and when we called ahead they were like yeah who's who's the guest and we're like dan thinks and they're like dan he works in racing wow here's the guy who like loves to go out drinking all the time because he's at this bar enough that they all know him and they had no idea because he doesn't put himself he's not like there's no ego there's no attitude he's just like this happy-go-lucky guy so i would say like a dan Binks because every time i see him he's always got a smile and and He's got so many great stories about blowing up rental cars with, like, Dorsey Schrader and Tommy Kendall <laughs> back in the day. And, uh, you know, obviously now it's a little bit more professional in terms of, like, he can't be dicking off like that like he could in the past. Yeah. But I, I would say Dan Banks probably pops out. He was the first name I thought of. He's, the, he's the, the, the big character. Can you imagine him coming in, getting home, and he's like, oh, where have you been? Oh, I just went over to France. What were you doing over there? Uh, you know, just working. It's like, what, yeah, exactly. what won a race? No, no big deal. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty sure we ruined because uh, the dive bar he went to, nobody knew him as anything other than Dan. We're pretty sure we ruined it. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> of course, uh, they're like watching races and stuff to know how his team did. But that's yeah. not the case with Mike Shank, isn't it? You uh, tell us about the Copper Penny. Yeah, Copper Penny, man. <laughs> I still people talk to me about this all the time, and I want to point out that we went beer for beer, and I was slurring a lot less than Mike Shank, who's like a professional <laughs> drinker, um, and that's just me bragging a little bit, but. Now, Shank is an absolute, he's what I would call a bro. Like, he's the yeah. guy that you see and you're like, as soon as we get done today, let's go get a drink and just, like, you know, bust balls and, and shoot the shit. And he's good for that. We had him on our 12 hours uh, poop receiving earlier this year, and he was doing shots, you know, on the air. <laughs> this guy owns an IndyCar team. He's partners <laughs> with the guy that owns, like, Sirius XM. And he's like, shots with Shank, you know? And he's texting me afterwards about his mutton chops versus my mustache. And I'm like, yeah, this guy's a character. But the Copper Penny, uh, I remember we got there. Shank shows up on a golf cart. They have a stage. They have, like, a floating barge for, like, bands to play on. And then, like, right across the little waterway, there's, like, someone's house. Like, we're talking 20 feet away. 
just the way the property is. There's DP bodywork from the Shank Daytona prototypes on the wall, wow. and half the people there on a random like whatever day it was are wearing Mike Shank racing T-shirts. So it was it was eye opening in in the best kind of way. It was just like it was like this is exactly what I hoped for for Mike Shank. Yeah, and then for for those of you who you don't know, I mean, you know, he's a as you say, he's a, he's a guy who's not come from not come from money. He's built up a race team, and you know, an extraordinary guy. But what what struck me the most about that interview was was that he was was it Sam Cornish the is it the Indy car the IndyCar NASCAR driver I can't remember, and well, he'd given him a either now but. yeah he'd, he'd given him a he'd given him a big leg up, and then they'd signed a future yeah. earnings deal, and then he got a big Penske deal, and they just they just you know flaked on it and he he, he did not you know he told the story but he didn't he didn't whine about it at all he just seemed i would be furious if that had happened to me yeah and, and i like the fact that he thought about telling that story before he came because he mentioned like yeah my wife and i were talking about this and i think we do want to tell it and i think the point was he's like i want it to be known but i'm not gonna sit here and bellyache about it and i asked him like six months ago we were we were just talking at one of the races mm-hmm. and uh, a fan came up mid mid conversation and was like oh hey guys yeah i love the episode and he turned to me and he goes do you know how many people ask me about that hornish thing now he's like it's crazy and i was like well yeah, yeah. he deserved yeah, to have the story, story told yeah 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 no he's he's uh and you, you, what is amazing about him is is that i can't imagine what it's like to put together like a gt daytona budget whatever it is three million five million dollars or whatever it is to, to come up with that money privately, I, I I do not know how you do that. And it, it comes back to your point you made about Continental earlier on. Do you think that in sports car racing or in any racing in general, getting sponsorship is difficult? Do you think it's because the money's not there to be spent or do you think it's because the right value is not given, would you say? Well, the, the biggest problem is, is the viewership mm-hmm. isn't strong enough so the budgets are way out of line compared to how many people watch this. Sure. So it's extremely hard. And let me rephrase that. It's pretty much impossible to get a real corporate sponsor unless they actually like the kind of racing okay. or you can knock the number down so much that it makes sense. So mm-hmm. if you look at pretty much the entire GTD field, bar maybe a handful of cars, there's a lot of manufacturer money flowing to keep those programs out there. So then okay. you can go get like a smaller number from let's say a gentleman driver or from an actual sponsor but it's it's super hard to to find those these days and the reality is is like if you went to you know you walk up to Valvoline and you say hey Valvoline uh we'd like to do three million dollars for GTD and here's our TV numbers uh what do you think they're gonna look at that and go um we can give a, a tenth of this to a YouTube kid and he's gonna see four million people look at it and you're not going to get four million people a year yeah and that's that's obviously the big problem there um and i think the reality is is that if you broke it down and you looked at sports car racing in the united states it's not funded by fan base or tv stuff it's funded by wealthy people keeping it going Mm -hmm. and if you if you really do the breakdowns on stuff like no fans could show up to a sports car race and it would still happen because the gentleman drivers paying for the Porsche GT3 Cup, the Lambo Cup, sure. the Michelin Pilot Challenge, and WeatherTech, they're keeping it going. So from the series side, they're getting whatever they're getting from the teams and they're getting whatever they're getting from TV and all these other things and manufacturers. So they have a good business going, yeah. but it's not going to help knock the cost down. No, so no, I know you're right. It becomes yeah. a business thing where it's like IMSA, for example, they're probably doing fine when everything's up and running. 
because they have so many support series on a given weekend that all are paying an entry fee mm-hmm. and all paying a fee to like add up to it. So they're fine. But it's the guy that's like, well, I can't afford to go GTD racing. I guess I'll just stop that. It's like, well, yeah, of course. Why, why would you keep doing this if the, if the juice isn't worth the squeeze? Yeah, no, absolutely. So you need, like you say, you need some, you need people like John Potter or Cooper yeah. McNeil or somebody like that. You know, it's uh, yeah. people of that level of, of personal wealth, basically. Yeah, and yeah. you do. I'm sorry, Ryan, go ahead. I was saying you need them to feel valued. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that I, I, I hear from these guys, because we all run in the same circles, is that you have a guy like a Ben Keating who shows up and he spends a lot of money because he really loves doing this. Yeah. And when I hear like a Ben Keating or a John Potter is pissed off because some of the BS that goes on, I'm like, how is this guy not getting treated like a like a king? You Correct. Know, he's spending yeah. all this money. Correct. And that's where I'm like, ugh, they're gonna treat the guy that's paying for it like that, or that guy's got these these actual justified issues. That's not a great place to be for someone like me who they can replace whenever they want because I'm just a measly race car driver. Yeah, I can. No, I can understand that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't agree with the last point, but uh, <laughs> but you're right. There's, there's, there's. You're right, though. There is like there. There is a. Uh, you know, the, there's there's a lot more you know pro race car drivers than there are amateurs with that level of disposable income. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's exactly. mismatched. Yeah. Okay. Um, now there's one coming towards the end now. The You've, on the Amazon Prime show, my favorite episode was the VIR episode, so Virginia International Race Fee. You know, for those who haven't seen that episode, and they should right after this episode, tell us why you chose VIR and what the experience was like telling their story, because it's an exceptional place. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's a lot... There's a lot of interesting things at VIR. For me, on a personal level, I made my pro racing debut there back in 2003, and I had my first pro race as a pro finishing driver against top name guys in 2010. And it's been like a second home to me because for a long time, the series I raced in didn't go to Road Atlanta. So Virginia being five, six hours away was kind of like the closest track, so I kind of considered my home track. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big thing about VIR that we really like was that it disappeared for you know 20 30 years or whatever and then came back and almost every racetrack in the world right now as soon as it goes away it turns into a mall a neighborhood a development of some sort it doesn't Mm -hmm. come back ever and the fact that they were able to take that and bring it back and become a viable business that is growing and one of the driver's favorite racetracks to go to in north america is a really interesting story now sean and i are also big nerds about all sorts of things and it's right in the middle of the south when back in the day with the you know the civil war taking place yeah there's a ton of history in that area that we also wanted to showcase and so i'll let sean take it from there but that was kind of there's a lot of these things going on we want to talk about the town the racetrack and then how the hell a racetrack disappeared and came back oh and on top of that it's owned and ran by a woman how cool is that yeah yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that basically kind of summarizes it. When we're when we're looking at episodes to do, the thing that that we both obsess at, and and back to that whole idea that we can do six episodes that are entirely unique from each other, is if we're going to do something like a track history episode, I want to make sure that there's a ton of layers to it. Uh, so it can't just be about like, here's the history of this track. It was started 30 years ago. End of story. Uh, you know, so it has to be about the town that it's in, the community that's built around it, and all the all the things that come with it. And what was cool to me about VIR, beyond the fact that, like Ryan said, very 
rarely to never does a racetrack go away and come back. Uh, but it's centered in a in a part of the world that is uh, very much a small a, a cross section of small town USA, but with a huge history in in the Civil War and the antebellum South and things like that, which good, bad, or indifferent, is a is a unique thing that you can you can address with this particular track. So mm-hmm. you know when we're looking at ways to tell a a story with a lot of fingers to it. VIR just made sense, but we can we can talk about the Civil War. We can talk about uh, Wendell Scott, uh, who grew up there, who was yeah. the first African American stock car driver. Uh, you know, there's just so many angles that we get into, and so we we try to do that. So what's cool about VIR, both in terms of the episode, but in reality also, is that it's a beautiful racetrack, but with a really cool story behind the entire community that surrounds it. Yeah, and, and, and go on. The overall goal for, for the overall goal for me was. Uh, I get to go to a bunch of places that I would have never had a clue were super cool or, or super interesting. And I always use Long Beach as an example because I got to race there for the first time in 2015. I'd watched the race on TV a million times, but I didn't know much about the event itself. And it blew my mind. It's something like 250,000 people come through there over the course of three or four days because they don't even care about the race. It's just like it's been there for so long and it's the thing to go do. And I remember thinking, like, I could, I had no idea this many people come to this event. And so when I think about VIR, I'm like, well, let's say you're a West Coaster and you have one race you can get to on the East Coast this year. You're going to make a vacation out of it. Why would you go to VIR instead of, you know, Road America or Lime Rock? Mm-hmm. Let's show people. And that's something that I hope we can do again with other places. It's like, a, like here's what you need to do and see when you come to this particular place. And that's kind of where, the, where it all began. Well, that leads on nicely. When I, I noticed that you took your uh, your took Yoshi your your Honda van to to VIR. Where, where's where's where, which tracks next on the list then to give the DWR treatment? Well, the, the best part about having Yoshi there, my Honda Aki, was uh, my dad brought it up from Atlanta because people are like, "Did you drive that here?" I'm like, "Look, it's six hours on the highway. That poor thing at, at sixty miles an hour is holding on for dear life." <laughs> and. Uh, so, so I convinced my dad to drive it up in, in a truck and trailer so we could have it for the weekend. But it's a great discussion piece. And so we just had it there. It's wrapped with Dinner with Racers, Marlboro, livery on it and everything. Um, but the people at VIR are so cool. They let us on track. As soon as the IMSA sessions were done or before they started, we had full range. We could do anything we wanted. Wow. And that's why that episode did so well because the visuals we got were phenomenal. And they understood the, the value in like having us go do that stuff. And so we probably did, because I didn't race that weekend, and we probably did more laps, Sean and I, than anybody else that raced at VIR that weekend. <laughs> and, uh, and it was great to have Yoshi there. We'll, we'll see if, uh, if we end up doing another track thing in 2020. Obviously, with the current situation with the pandemic, a lot of things are in the air. But if we do something like that, we'll probably bring Yoshi out again. I think you've got to. If, did you, were, when you were out on track with Yoshi, were you, were you pushing on a little bit? Oh yeah, we did a couple of things because we had Andy Lally driving the MDX around. Okay. And uh, and uh, Sean would be like riding with us or flying the drone, and it's like, all right, let's kind of see what this thing could do. And I've got it. It's got brand new Continentals. It's got 15 inch wheels, which are pretty big. Um, and uh, I, it was kind of scary a few times because like it, it's a toaster oven. Once that thing tips over, it's got our name written all over it. Everyone's gonna find out. So we got to make sure we didn't roll it over. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I actually had to lecture you a couple times because we had GoPros on the outside of the of the of the van, mm-hmm. and uh, those GoPros can be in terms of just 
you know, I'm thinking about visuals. So the GoPros are very sensitive to, you know, high frequency vibration. Well, Ryan couldn't not take the racing line <laughs> with his acti, which would mean taking the curbs. And it was like every other corner, I'm like off the curbs, off the curbs. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also just, like, he just could not do it. But also I'm thinking that any club racer that's ever been to VIR that knows the track is going to be like, man, he didn't even track out all the way. So I'm like thinking about that in my head too, because I don't want some guy that's like really good at VIR to be like, this idiot doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> There's a couple things there, but yeah, fair enough. At least I this, didn't almost run your leg over. This dumb TCR champion. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. Lally prides himself on running, uh, on, on showing just how close he can put a car into any situation, which would include my legs. Yeah, and I don't think he knows that he almost ran your leg over. Nope. <laughs> He's forgot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now the uh, one, one, one. Almost, we're nearly, nearly on the final question. Tell us about the the Magnus live cast at, at Daytona that you guys were both involved with. And second part of the question oh. is, can we bring it back? <laughs> oh man, two tiered question. So uh, I'll give you, I'll give you uh, a rambling answer as I think of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was. It was fun during its time, if that makes any sense. Sure. Uh, and I yeah. and like the, the the single greatest. Well, I shouldn't say the single. Uh, there are like three or four great things about the Magnus webcast. Um, first of all, all credit to John Potter, um, and also the crew at Magnus Racing who literally had to give up some of their pit space to yeah. make that thing happen, uh, which is a commodity in a twenty-four hour race. I mean, that's a space now that they can't stack tires, crew guys can't sleep, we can't have guests. Like, it's actually a pretty big commitment from a team to allow something like that to happen beyond just john potter decreeing it you know the guys had to be okay with it and and in all of the 10 years or so that i was doing it with the magnus guys never was there a complaint at least in front of my face wow Um, so i'll give credit to every crew guy that's ever been through the magnus paddock that they all understood what it was and let it happen but basically for those who don't know uh magnus racing which is still a team in imsa today i'm not involved with them anymore but still root them on uh, they're now teamed with Grasser Racing in the in the IMSA series, but uh, John Potter and the Magnus guys always prided themselves on having fun and doing a lot of fan interactive things. So that would include doing a 24-hour pitchside web stream uh, during the entirety of the Daytona 24. And so we'd have like team radio coming on, and then usually myself and a co-host would be on there for the entirety of the of the thing. Uh, and then we you know we'd bring in cycle cycle guests and whatnot. Um, so honestly, I think um, in many ways what Dinner with Racers is now, uh, the Magnus webcast definitely helped plant some of that seed. I mean, I certainly wouldn't give the Magnus webcast full credit, uh, <laughs> but, two th- but, but a couple things. I mean, one, I think people then saw the chemistry because Ryan co-hosted for several years when he wasn't driving. Um, uh, so Ryan and I co-hosting really showed the chemistry between the two of us. I think the Magnus webstream showed my ability to produce dumb fun stuff for no money um but it also just became a thing that i think fans of sports car racing who were into sort of the magnus racing goofy style humor really appreciated it from from year after year and so um last year 2019 was the last year of doing it and it was really because i knew with the amazon show Mm -hmm. and how everything kind of layered over itself during the off season it was getting harder and harder to do every year because of dinner with racers so basically that magnus webcast from let's say November until the 24 is a really tough time of year. If you're in the marketing and PR side of, of sports car racing, mm-hmm. uh, because there's a, that's when all of your stuff has to happen. You have to get your crew suits all done in time, your new car designs. 
uh, Magnus Racing, we always put out really cool, fun videos, which would be my entire month of January. And then you'd top it off with this 24-hour web stream that, you know, the web stream itself was fun, still a lot of work, but the prep of it was a ton of work, uh, not just in terms of, like, making sure you had segments and whatnot, but even just down to, like, working with the internet company in Daytona Beach to make sure that they were ready to go with your internet feed, yeah. which literally every year was a different process and a, and a huge headache. Getting IMSA approvals, working out with the crew, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so last year was the last year just because as Dinner with Racers continued to get busier, that time that I used to be able to allocate into really setting up for you know, the, the coming season with my sports car clients, that time was getting eaten into by Dinner with Racers commitments between edits and once we knew we had the TV show going in 2019, I knew that there was no way this would be able to continue and be able to do both at the same time. Um, and it was just, if I'm being blunt, it was, it was time for me to stop doing it. Uh, so that was that. But uh, Ryan was my co-host for several years. I think 2014 was probably the year that that uh, we probably made the biggest name, and that's when it became known as the uh, Ryan Eversley Webstream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was all me. I handled it all. Took care of it. Yep. yep. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, if it comes back in the future, I don't know. Um, we will see. There's a, there's a lot of things you have to consider in terms of uh, – you know, whether we do something specific to Magnus or something like that in the future, certainly as time goes on and my memories of it become rosier, I'm sure that the time will come that I'll like to do something of that ilk. I don't know if it'll necessarily be the exact same format, but you never know. I mean, um, between partners, obviously Daytona Speedway is a uh, big fan of what we do. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would never say never, but uh, I, I'm, I don't think it would be coming in the way that people were used to. Okay, so basically, you now know that Twitter is now going to go because there are literally tens of people listen to this podcast. So you know that everyone's going to be like, "So when's the Dinner with Races live cast coming, then, guys?" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. With, uh, well, the, the key thing I would remind you of is we've been this entire thing exists because of Continental Tire. What? Yeah. Who? So uh, I'm not sure how well that would work out with uh, IMSA's current commitments, and you can't blame anybody for that. That's no, that's nowadays. true. That is that is that is absolutely so. that is absolutely true. Yeah. Okay. Final question. I ask this to ask this to every every guest I have, uh, and the I suspect that you guys are going to have a much different answer than the others. So I always ask each guest if they could choose one race to compete in in any car and any co-driver. Who would it be? So to give a bit of context, when I interviewed the Taylors, you can tell they're competitive. Two of uh, so no hold on. Ricky chose Tom Christensen, uh, Wayne chose Alan McNish, and Jordan chose uh, Mario Andretti. And I think it was like Audi, Audi Diesel, Ferrari Triple Three, and nine Porsche nine five six. So you can tell that even in a complete fantasy world, they're still competitive. Ryan Dale chose Dario. I uh, don't know why he chose Dario, but he chose Dario, Bentley, uh, Bentley Speedy, and Le Mans. And then Catherine Legg chose. Uh, she was she was sweet. She was like any any of my current teammates and uh, an Aussie V8 supercar at Bathurst. But given your guys with Thursday night blunder and stuff, I guess you guys are going to have a more alternative answer. Ryan, no, I'm actually I want to hear what you say. This is interesting. Oh, okay. <laughs> do I want to win or do I want to have fun? It's entirely up to you. Entirely okay. up to you. If I can pick anything, I'm going R.J. Valentine. <laughs> uh, in a, in a, my favorite Gen 1 Daytona prototype, uh, the PPO. Because Ooh. here's the thing. like if, if R.J. is my teammate and I'm in a PPO, it ain't my fault. 
right? Okay. And so I'm just going to have fun at that point and just enjoy it because uh, if we don't win, I have so many things I can blame. Absolutely. And, w- and which race would you enter it into? Which race would you go for? Oh, no, that's it. I actually think I'm going Bathurst. Uh, Ooh, in a Daytona prototype, that'd be cool. In, in a Gen 1 Pico, uh, and the specific reason it actually has nothing to do with the Pico, it has everything to do with RJ, because something about <laughs> RJ in Australia is just something I have to see. <laughs> I just have to know what that life would be like, because I have a feeling it would be amazing. <laughs> what about you, Ryan? Uh, honestly, this, uh, this is going to sound lame, but I already got to do the race with the teammates I wanted uh, in 2004, I built a LMP2 car for James Cook uh, Racing, and we did Petit Le Mans together. And my teammates were Andy Lally and Spencer Rampelli, who were wow. like my big brothers. And on top of that, my dad helped run the program for that weekend. So I had my dad crew chiefing and on the radio, and I had Andy Lally and Spencer Rampelli as my as my co-drivers, and we finished second in a car that I pretty much built. Uh, at like 17 or 18 years old so I kind of wow. like I already kind of have that awesome memory that like I know that when we're all in our well they'll, they'll be in their 90s soon but I know that when we're all older um, we'll be sitting around Lally will be dead he'll have broken his neck skateboarding or something but Spencer and I will be talking about Petit Le Mans you know in that year that we that we did that and, and I'm really I think that's just the coolest thing that I have that memory to look back on but for argument's sake I would say I'd love to do the daytime 24 hour because my 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 goal my, the only other goal i have unchecked in my career is i want to win the 24 hour i don't care what class i want to watch yeah um and i'd say i'd say i'd want to do the accurate dpi because i really do actually want to drive that car at daytona yeah and for teammates i mean honestly lally and spence again because they're just like it, it's those guys have been so successful there and they're awesome and i could give you a list of like 100 people i'd love to have you know but like getting to do something like we could getting to do something that we get to do is amazing getting to do it with your friends and and you're all operating on a level like that and it's like clicky it's so it's so cool so um so yeah. your your all-star rolex 24 lineup would be accurate dpi yeah with spencer and andy yeah for the win yeah i don't think that's out of the question i think we've got to make that happen i think we, we, we somehow yeah i think that's well, well you know my corporate answer is james hinchcliffe Takuma Sato and I need to be in the third Penske DPI. Now, obviously, Sato's the man, but I don't know that endurance racing is his, his strong suit. But I don't care. I just want to be on the grid with him, you know. So if uh, I was, he'd be so awesome. Yeah, if I was corporate accurate, I'd be like, okay, let's take Eversley, Hinch, and Sato. They're all really well liked by their fans. They're all company men. They've been here for a long time, and like two of them are pretty fast let's go do that at Daytona and I think that would be a home run Hinch and I talk about it all the time he's like why are we not driving one of those things I'm like you have you have to make that happen you're, yeah you're that's here. on you man <laughs> yeah let me know where to sign <laughs> you'd be like Hinch has his own beer you could drink his own beer afterwards you can be like right. you've got to bring a couple right. of kegs of your own beer afterwards yeah <laughs> I, 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 I might recommend um, that you and James are the first two stints Honestly, I don't care just to be able to just to be able to be entered in a Pensacola. Okay, fair. Yeah. That would be very cool. I mean, to be uh, yeah, to go to go with 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 Penske would be pretty cool. And it's and of course the where where does the for those that don't know the Acura DPI prototype where the engine has quite um, surprising beginnings, doesn't it? Yeah, it actually starts out as the. Uh, I mean, it literally is the Honda 
or sorry, Acura TLX motor that's in the streetcar. It's also shared at the Honda Odyssey, and it's also a lot of componentry from it is shared in the Honda boat motors that they sell for you know power sports boating. Um, however, it developed and was built and used in our TLX GT program that we ran in World Challenge in uh, 15 and 16. So I know that motor like the back of my hand, and I still tell people when they ask about it, I'm like, we were doing, I remember we were doing fuel mileage testing once, and we were doing pit speed limit testing, and I'm like, well, this is a sprint series. We don't do pit stops, and we don't do fuel mileage. They're like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. And then they announced the prototype program. I was like, ah, God, huh. God. <laughs> that adds up. So, so yeah, it's a pretty neat thing. If you look up, there's a guy named Bozy Tatarovic on, on Twitter. He did a complete write-up, I think, for Haggerty about the motor, and he got all this information from HPD, and it literally uses an, like an absorbent amount of street Honda parts from the Honda Odyssey van, the TLX motor for the Honda Acura TLX, in the race motor. It's really pretty impressive. Nice. So, basically, we're, we're telling Acura that to get the best out of that motor, they've got to have you... Hinchcliffe and Sato in the car, and me and Sean are going to do a live webcast in the pits. Absolutely. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, well, I'll do a, I, here's I'll do a live webcast. Can I, can, I, can I push for another car if, if, if contracts aren't a thing? Okay. Sure. Uh, I, would, I would push for a fourth. If, if, if contracts change next year, I would then challenge you. I would start my own uh, Penske DPI program. It'll be me and Rene Rast, and I'll also do the web stream because Rene will just drive the whole thing, and I still think we'll beat you. No, nah, no, you won't. It'll be me and Renee Rast, except I won't drive. <laughs> oh, if you're not driving, okay, yeah. I, I'm not driving. It's just gonna be Renee the whole time. I'll, yeah. we'll, we'll have we'll have RJ join as well. But again, it'll just be Renee driving the whole time. <laughs> well, think how much content we'll have on the webcast. I, it'll be an awesome web. Uh, like there, there will be results guaranteed. It's the perfect lineup, honestly. Yeah. It's like you know, RJ Valentine, myself, Renee Rast. Rene, I don't know if I don't know if uh, uh, we'll, we'll work with IMSA to see if we can change how driver times work. But basically, it'll be Rene the whole time, and you guys might win, but you yes. you personally will lose. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter what I do in life, Ryan. I always lose. You're Such gonna be so. You're gonna be like, they're gonna be handing you the Rolex, and you'll be like, I hate everything right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it doesn't fit. Fine. Renee, oh, you know what'll happen, and this is way too inside for Ryan and I. But Renee, having driven for 24 hours, will be sitting on the podium about to die. They'll give him his watch, and then he's his hands gonna be shaking as they give me mine, and he's gonna say, "Earn this." <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of layers to that joke. I hope everyone understands it. I'm sure there's going to be someone out there who's going to understand it, I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> I remember with the, talking to the Rolex watches, I remember the Rolex this year and seeing uh, John Edwards putting his on when they were getting interviewed and he's getting his, like, he's so excited, he's getting it out of the box and stuff and he puts it on his wrist and honestly, you could have put three of these around his wrist. Yeah, he's a thin, thin man. But, by the way, John Edwards, uh, who we've never done a podcast with, uh, he joined us on our, our dumb iRacing thing that we do every Thursday. And uh, he's a cool kid. He's, yeah. he's, he's got a sense of humor. It's just uh, uh, a lot of times, especially in factory programs, one of the things, as you know with our show, is we try to get the personalities out because a guy like John Edwards is actually pretty funny. Yeah. As is Dane mm-hmm. Cameron or Patrick Long. And uh, so we're we're glad we get to bring some of those, those fun characters out. 
yeah no and you guys have done a done a great job and uh before we finish i gotta say thank you so much for uh all the work you've done with the program it's enhanced my knowledge and appreciation of the of sports car racing in general and racing in general and i've discovered a lot of people in racing that i never knew about and and glad i did so uh, you guys are doing a brilliant job and uh uh, and 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 keep it up. Is there uh, now before before we go? How do people get in touch with you uh, on on social media and stuff like that? Our uh, Twitter is our biggest thing that we use, and that's at DWR Show on Twitter. We're also on Facebook, Dinner with Racers, and we have an Instagram account. We haven't done anything with because it's like it's just one more thing. Yeah, <laughs> but but yeah, and then uh, my personal account on Instagram is at Eversley, and on Twitter at Ryan Eversley. My social media probably isn't worth following, um, but uh, I am on Twitter with spicy hot takes at Sean Heckman. Uh, I'm also Sean.Heckman on Instagram, and Sean.Heckman on Instagram is literally just photos of my corgi, who is Welsh, and, oh, wow. uh, and, uh, and what I'm watching on TV. That's pretty much all my Instagram feed is dog photos and television photos. But uh, if you are in the UK, we of course are on Amazon Prime. So uh, if you go to uh, Amazon.co.uk, look up Dinner with Racers, and we have six amazing episodes, and hopefully some more coming later this year. And of course, there's DinnerWithRacers.com, where you can catch all 100 podcast episodes uh, with uh, all kinds of people in in the US. We would love to get to Europe, by the way. But yeah. Um, budget and timing is kind of thing this was actually a year we were hoping maybe that would be a possibility but that may have gone away given the uh, current current situation well you, you got to come and do scotland because uh there's some there's some cool stuff here and some there's some there's some some quick drivers uh, you live around here too i think we both both love to do it i think it's also the worst idea ever between the beer and the bad food that's like both of our hot points <laughs> um so like Ryan and the beer and me and the bad food, it's like there's no way we're getting out of Scotland alive. Ah, it's not a bad place to sail. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, thanks so much for for coming on the yep. show and uh, hopefully see you at the racetrack sometime sometime soon. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Peter. We appreciate it. No, no Look, problem. Can we do a William Wallace outro? Go for it. Go for it. Can it so, so it's like Ryan and I were both we're both. Uh, about to get our heads chopped off and go then, for we it. The, then we do the yell so we do the yell Ryan go on yeah go for it you gonna do it with me no <laughs> <laughs> ready yeah freedom freedom